Welcome to Makeshift, a Mishbacha podcast examining the shifting trends affecting our community. I'm Sarah Eisman, your host. I am so excited to welcome our guest today, Mrs. Rachel Goldbaum. I'm just thrilled to have her here. Rachel is an internationally acclaimed speaker, relationship coach, dating mentor, college teacher. She's trained dating coaches. She's trained college teachers. She is really just an incredibly accomplished woman who's passionate about bringing people to their best relationship self. Rachel is an adjunct educator for Asia of the Rockies. She's the founder of My Gift of Mikvah, the co-founder of CORE, and most importantly for today's show, she is the creator of the Directed Dating Approach. Hey, Rachel. I'm excited to be here with you. Thanks for joining us. So tell us a little bit about how a nice girl like you ended up in uh, in this field. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> tell us a little bit about your background, how you got here. I think from when I was even a young newlywed starting my family, I always seemed to attract people who wanted relationship advice. And later on, I started working actually in a sleepaway camp and the senior staff would often come to me to ask advice. And I even remember, this was years ago, giving a dating class to this group of senior staff members and it really being very helpful and valuable for them. As a Kala teacher, I started to see from my Kalas that they would come to me and sometimes there were troubling situations that could have been prevented with a better dating experience. And when I started to question them or they started to question me about their level of excitement for getting married or their knowledge of their cousin, I started to realize that there were holes in the dating process and that if this same girl would have dated well and dated productively, this could have been avoided. She would have gone into engagement in a much better frame of mind and she could have been a much happier Kala. And that's what I said to myself, wait a minute, maybe I should be proactive instead of reactive. Let's go back and help these girls date well so that they can come to college classes in a very different state of mind. Wow. So how did you put it all together? I mean, where did the ideas come from? Where did you? So it's a good question. I think really from the girls, <laughs> you know, once I started helping people and I did this, obviously, just as a chesed, helping talking to girls and really helping them figure things out for themselves. And I started to see what resonated with them, what worked, what was productive. And years later, after doing this for a long time, I realized, let me systemize this. Like, what did I just do? Often I found myself saying, wow, that was really good. <laughs> what did I just do? What? And it was intuitive, but I wanted to systemize it so that I could give it to others. And that's when I started to develop it into an organized dating system. I'm a very organized person by nature, and I wanted to, I wanted to really make it clear step by step so the girls can use it, so that other people can help girls. And now it really developed itself, I guess, into the system. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at this point, you are, you know, internationally renowned. You've trained, I don't know, how, how many dating coaches? Hundreds? I, I don't even know, but probably about 100 at this point. Wow. 
So you've got all that wisdom kind of traveling out there in, in the world. Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. So tell us, what are you seeing as some of the shifts? I mean, what's, what's, I don't know, our bubbies and our Zadies didn't have dating coaches, right? <laughs> so I know, neither did we. Right. What's it all about? Like, why do we suddenly need dating coaches? What do they do and, and why do we need them? You know, it's interesting. When I first started, and again, I did this much more as a lay person helping a girl here and there. And I think when I started, very few people were doing this. If people would ask me, what do you do? I, you know, obviously, amongst other things, they would say, oh, a dating mentor or a dating coach? What's that? Who needs that? You know, and they thought, well, people who must be having some serious issues or maybe they're much older and they've been dating for 10 years and therefore now they need some serious help. And it's interesting to have witnessed from when I started, I would say in the past decade, it's completely changed. Even from my first course where I trained other women to do this, and I wanted to keep it very small because I didn't want to flood a market that wasn't asking for something. Sure. And now I probably receive five calls a day that we divert to other people. Then I have to say no. Wow. So I think it's interesting to watch it go from what's a dating coach who uses that to, I would say, almost everyone now. It feels like it's sort of becoming the norm, you know? Absolutely. For girls, for sure. I think there's girls who will start and say, I'm not even seeing anyone yet. Can you, uh, you know, but I still want to learn about dating before I start. Imagine you get a lot of those calls too. Exactly. Just get me into that good mindset. You know, Mm -hmm. what is dating? What's the purpose of dating? I find myself also doing a lot of classes, presentations for different shidduch initiatives in different cities Mm -hmm. for mothers and daughters or just for the daughters or even for Shabkanen how help a girl navigate the dating process. So I think that the world is definitely more complicated than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. Again, like I said, the amount of requests that I receive has escalated. And what I'm seeing in terms of shifting trends now as well is boys and the boys' mothers are calling and they want me to help their sons now. And so I developed a couple of audios through the Nasi Project for Bachrim, starting out for the first time. What is dating? What is this process? How do I do it well? Just offering them skills. So I think that there are a number of things that changed. First of all, we live in a digital world. And even if you have a flip phone, you are affected by the digital age and what it brought to us for good and for bad. And I also think that Because of the digital age, we're living in a world where we're very exposed to a lot of things. And with that exposure comes a level of fear and anxiety that is unprecedented. Hmm. I don't know if you see it, Sarah, in your work. I'm sure you do. But the lack of clarity that people have because we're seeing so much and we know so much. Are you saying seeing so much like we're hearing more stories? Like, what are you referring to? Yes, we're hearing more stories. Girls are coming. They have lots of people that they know that are divorced after a few months. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's going to up the level of fear. Mm -hmm. They're also seeing, just like with everything, we have so many choices nowadays for everything. That also affects how we're going to go in on a date. Like we're kind of over 
we have so many options. We're used to having so many doors open. Overstimulated, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. We have so many options. Like, should I take the meat board or should I take, you know, this kind of delicacy? And so I think that translates into relationships, believe it or not. We're also facing an unprecedented fear of uncertainty. The inability to handle not knowing exactly what will happen or how things will turn out translates into difficulty with dating. People want guarantees. It doesn't work like that. You know, I often find myself telling a client, the only thing that's certain about life is uncertainty. In fact, one of the ideas behind the word thion, which we translate as life, but the truth is you can't really say one life in Hebrew. It's lives, it's plural. And one of the ideas behind that is that life is constantly changing and we never know what's happening next. The only constant that we have is right now. Uh, We never know what's going to be. And we have to do the best that we can with the tools that we have and the information that we have in front of us today. And we make reasonable, responsible choices with that information that we have today. And then we have to let go and enjoy the now and trust in the outcome and embrace uncertainty. That's just part of life. And that takes emotional and spiritual stamina, trusting in the process, trusting in ourselves, trusting in Hashem. And I'm just seeing more and more of a need for boys and girls that they want to maintain control. And this inability to handle uncertainty causes them to get stuck in the dating process and in decision-making. Right. Wow. Yeah. So you think people are having a harder time making decisions? Definitely. Definitely. So one of the biggest, well, there are kind of two factors that I see that keep everybody stuck at some point. Those are going to block everyone. I call this the if factor, image and fear. And so these are the two things that I find that I'm working with, with every boy and every girl that I work with at some point is going to need to kind of push through that barrier of their if, right? Their image and their fear. And I think one of the fears, and there are many fears, but one of the fears is the fear of making a decision. Making a decision has become so scary to them. And one of the reasons for this is because, you know, if you look at the word decide, it ends in C-I-D-E. And that is the Latin root that means to kill or to cut off, right? Like pesticide, right? We have uh, suicide, homicide. Mm -hmm. So decide really means to kill. What are you killing when you make a decision? All your other options. Right. And everybody wants everything today. We're scared to kill our options because we're left with, well, well, what if what's waiting for me? Well, what if I close all my options and there's something better waiting on the other side? And that really keeps singles stuck. Uh, Especially, I see a lot of boys, the more they're dating, the worse it gets. Interesting. So, I mean, how do you help someone push through that? Because the fact is you are closing off your options. Saying yes to one means saying no to everybody else. So how do you help somebody push through that? Yes. And that is, I would say, one of the primary roles of a dating mentor. Like a lot of people say to me, what is a dating mentor? What do you do? What is a coach? What does a coach do? The first thing is we turn on lights. We're giving them clarity on what they're witnessing, what they're seeing, 
uh, perhaps even what they're feeling, uh, help them just get, give them a wind up into what they're experiencing and what are kind of the facts on the ground. We're laying that out for them. It's hard to see something when you're in it. You know, it's hard to see the forest because of all of the trees. Sure. So a little bit where the helicopter that looks down and can kind of see the pattern, uh, see things that it's hard for them to experience when they're inside of it. Well, also one of the main roles is we try to identify the fear. So what are they fearing and what are they feeling, right? And is that fear general fear that they would have with anyone or is it specific fear? Like this person, I don't feel safe. I don't feel comfortable with this person or I'm concerned about something with this specific person versus I'm scared of making a decision. I'm scared of the unknown. Mm -hmm. I'm scared of leaving my parents' house. I'm scared of intimacy. I'm scared of developing a relationship, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, which would show itself with anybody. Sure. So I think back to your question about how to help somebody push through that fear of making a decision, I think sometimes just sharing this idea of why it's difficult and validating the fear of making a decision is huge. That pushes a lot of people through themselves because they just want to know is this normal? Am I normal? Is it because of him or her that I can't make a decision? No, like it's a scary thing to make a decision. So once I validate that, that takes a huge load off of their shoulders. And it helps really tease out if it's a fear about something in the individual, then you can really help them hone in on what the fear is and make an educated decision. Yeah. A hundred percent. Because sometimes when you just have this big blob of something called fear, it can feel like paralyzing. But once you distinguish, is this a fear that's grounded in reality and could actually really be dangerous for you? That's so different than this is coming from inside of you and this is about you and about you need to push through it. Exactly. And I think one of the things that I can show through that example, where I use an example of buying a house. So if I want to keep all my options open, well, okay, but now I'll never actually purchase a house. Mm -hmm. And I'll never be able to get what I want. So what I want to show my clients is you want to want it just a little bit more than you're afraid of it. And that can push you also through that fear. And the fear is normal. It's okay. You're going to have an element of fear. In fact, if they're not afraid, I'll be afraid. This is a big deal. Right. Somebody needs to be afraid. If it's not going to be you, it's going to be me, right? Yeah. It, this is a real commitment. It is a big deal. I once saw yeah. a sign on a tree and it said, if you're not afraid of it, it's not big enough. You know? mm -hmm. So this is something big. It's something really big. That's why we all want it. We all crave marriage and commitment and someone being a witness on our journey called life. And we want that there's something so beautiful about it. And therefore, it's going to come along with an element of fear. And that's okay. You know, and that's where I really, I think, reassure and relax the client that some level of fear is normal and I'm going to bring it along with me, but I'm not going to allow it to make the decision for me. Mm -hmm. So I kind of use a muscle of a knapsack or a little brother. You know, you bring it along with you, but it doesn't lead you. <laughs> and it might be annoying and heavy, but we're not going to let fear make our decisions for us. So, you know, it's interesting when you were talking before about the digital age and image, I'm kind of wondering if 
living in this digital age and having everything photoshopped and edited and, and brought to perfection, I mean, is that just making it really hard to settle for anything less than perfect? A hundred percent. I was thinking to myself before, because I knew we were meeting today, and I was thinking, what is it that happened in the past five years? Because I would say it's the past five years that has changed dramatically. And I, I would say you just hit the nail on the head. I think that we are overexposed. Everything's about, you know, we're seeing. Everything's about the picture. And because of that, we have this maybe expectations, expectations that aren't realistic. And therefore, we feel like we need to show ourselves as this perfect person. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I do with my clients at the very start, before they're even dating, hopefully, is a race, what I call Mr. Potato Head and Mr. Perfect. And it's exactly like you said it. Um, Mr. Perfect doesn't exist, right? If I was perfect, I wouldn't be here. And Mr. Potato Head is that tendency that we have to say, well, I want this like my brother, this like my father, this not like my brother-in-law, you know? And we take all those different pieces and we put them together and we have an image in our head we make our own Mr. Potato Head or Mrs. Potato Head. And the problem is, as you know, that doesn't exist. Right. right. And so that's right away setting the person up that we're going to meet mm -hmm. for failure because there's no way he can match up to the image that you've created. You know, I'm also thinking, as you say, we have to present ourselves as perfect. What a barrier that is to intimacy. I mean, like, how can you actually really get to know somebody when you're so busy on the entire day trying to be someone that you think they need you to be, right? Exactly. And that's something actually that I work so hard on, mostly with the girls, to really help them present themselves, you know, in an authentic, real way as themselves, that that's okay. That's very scary for a lot of girls. It is because they get so many messages that it's not. Exactly. You know, they get the message that they have to be exactly so. So, you know, to be able to sit back. And nobody wants to be in a relationship with a piece of paper or a doll or they want to be in a relationship with a real person. You know how I spell relationship? Close your ears if you're an English teacher right now. <laughs> but I spell relationship, real relationship, you know, R-E-A-L. Because if you want to be in a relationship, you have to be real. And the more real you are, the more that creates love and connection. Hate vulnerability. We need vulnerability. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I mean, imagine you date this paper doll and then suddenly you get married. I mean, you have the vantage point. You have you're in an unusual position because in addition to being a college teacher and training hundreds or thousands of college teachers, you're seeing it from both before and after. So I'm just wondering, like, what's the fallout? What's the fallout of people showing up and not being really who they are? That's where I get these calls from frantic relatives. You know, can you speak to my sister-in-law, my niece? She's about to get married and she's not sure if she likes her cousin. And I'll usually take me of cold because they're close to my heart and I, I never want a Kala to walk down the aisle feeling anything less than excited. So I'll speak to the girl and very often, and as you know, and I have a list of what I call the five good husband criteria, you know, where I go through with her to make sure that she dated, you know, well enough that this is a quality person that she's marrying. And usually it is. 
But the part that she skipped in the data is the heart stage, where that's when they're, they're authentic and they share. And she shares her real self and she shares a challenge that she's had or how she's grown in a certain way, what she's working on. And what I almost always find in these scenarios is it's not that she doesn't like her cousin. It's that she's afraid that when he gets to know the real her on Monday morning, right after the hasana, mm-hmm. that he's not going to like her because she's never actually shown him her real self. And so we actually, what we do is we go back to the dating during the engagement. And these are usually girls that have skipped what I call the heart stage. They went from head to engagement and it made sense on paper and very often well-meaning relatives and shopkanim, you know, push them into it because why not? It makes sense. But girls need to feel connected. They need to feel close. They need to feel comfortable. And they need to feel that there is a real connection there. And so sometimes I know it sounds backwards, but they're going back and they're going to date during the engagement, date well, go through the heart stage. And then they call me back and they say, Mrs. Gobo, I'm so excited to get married. <laughs> and then, yes, and then they're running down the aisle. Wow. Do you think there's a difference in how our girls are coming out of seminary? Like, are they coming out more guarded when they're dating? Definitely. Definitely. I think that, again, there's very little room for humanness, mm-hmm. uh, for mistakes. And that leads to... So not being authentic, judging ourselves, judging others. Mm-hmm. There's tons of judgment. That's another thing that I work on. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't judge someone and love someone at the same time. So if they're going out on a date. Wait, wait, you need to stop and say that again. Because okay. I want everybody to hear that again. That was that was so deep. Say that again. It's true. I Usually I do repeat it twice. You cannot love someone and judge someone at the exact same time. So when you're in that moment of judgment, you are not in that loving, flowing place. Exactly. You're not connecting to someone. I mean, imagine, Sarah, that you went out to lunch with a friend and you haven't seen this friend in many years. And you feel while you're eating lunch with her that she's judging what you're saying, what you're ordering, what you're wearing, what you're doing. You know. That's it. She's done. We're not having lunch anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I don't want to go out with her anymore. That didn't improve my relationship at all. So that is not going to do anything to conduct these two people. And where judgment lives, love cannot reside. Wow. And that's why, you know, in a marriage, this is true. In a friendship, this is true. The second we feel judged, we're going to pull back. And what's happening is, Singles will call me and they'll say, okay, so Ms. Skullbaum, what red flag should I look out for? So already you're expecting this couple is going to go out. And imagine you're going out with someone that's looking out for red flags. That's not going to be a very connecting experience. So what I tell the single to do, what I advise is take your Rashi commentator or your analyzing brain, I call it, like, you know, when you're Sometimes you're with someone and you're asking questions like, why is he doing that? Why did he say that? I wonder why he brought that topic up. You know, I wonder why he asked me that question. I wonder, you know, why he didn't open the door for me, right? And so you constantly have this running list of questions you're analyzing while you're on the date. I say, take that, you know, Rashi commentator, unscrew it, put it on the shelf and go out on the date as 
simply a curious human being that's going in to learn about another person. Mm -hmm. And then when you get home, you could screw it back in, call your dating mentor and ask as many questions as you want. You will remember actually more than if you came in with that attitude because you were actually there. So really tap into that curiosity. Yes. And that authentic joy of learning another human being. Yeah. Are we teaching our girls to be curious nowadays? Or, you know, there's so much judgment and black and white thinking, if you will. A lot of constriction also. You know what I mean? This, instead of what do you think about this, this is what you think about this. (laughs) So it does not leave a lot of wiggle room there. Yeah. So that's an interesting point you're bringing up. I mean, to all the parents out there, to the seminary teachers out there, to the chanchos out there, how do we keep our young men and women safe and protected without making them so afraid? How do we, I mean, thank God that, you know, we've come such a long way in terms of identifying abusive behavior and mental health issues and all sorts of challenges. How do we balance that? How do we make our people feel safe to go out without being afraid? Yeah. So first of all, I think believing, believing in our young men and women more. I sincerely, I believe in my clients so much. And I very often will say to them, you are the smartest person in your life. And if you're a child, you think they're ready for marriage and you're sending them out with, hopefully you've done research, a quality person then trust them to feel their feelings, to see what they need to see, to be authentically themselves. When it's also the law of attraction, you know, when they show their real selves, it's a mirror and he'll show back his real self. And so once you bring authenticity into this space, she'll see what she needs to see. I truly believe that everything that needs to come out will come out in good, productive dating. And that does take time. And I do think that the rush and the fear and the pressure mm-hmm. that sometimes parents or shatzhanim put on the couple does not serve the dating process. Definitely not the girls. Girls need to feel that they're owning this experience. They're owning this choice. Uh, we want to give them back their bathira. Is that a relatively new mishigas, I, I mean, trend? The rushing and the pressure? Yes, I think so. I mean, it could be that, you know, there was less to process. Maybe things were a little bit simpler in the older days. I do think that now what I see as one of my biggest tools, actually, is when things are good on the outside and going as they should be, and this seems like a healthy couple, and the girl is still nervous. I don't know if I'm ready, and I don't know, and I don't know. and the boy is usually very ready. He's clear. And that puts even more pressure on the girl sometimes. And the thing that's holding her back the most actually is the pressure. And so what I'll very often advise is, can we give this girl three dates where no decisions have to be made? There's nobody coming back and saying yes or no. We know we're going out in a cluster of three dates. And then we'll see how you feel. And what I find is it's like magic. You take away that pressure. And she usually calls me after two dates and she says, Mrs. Goldman, I really want to jump in. Can I? You know? No, you have to wait the third date. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Usually it goes right away after two because it's like magic when you take away that pressure. 
Yeah. Literally, like when you take a pressure off something, it literally has room to expand. Exactly. Wow. So let me just ask you, is there a downside to all this coaching and that like, have people abdicated responsibility for their lives? Are we becoming unable to hear our own voices, needing to listen? Are we becoming too reliant on other people? So it's a good question. I think we are. <laughs> and I think that's actually why if they're going to hear voices, I'd rather they learn to hear their own. And what a good dating mentor should be able to do is really identify for them what they are feeling inside. And a good analogy would be, imagine like a window shade and it's blocking the person from really seeing outside, from seeing that clarity. And when we lift up the shade for the client, they're able to see, oh, I really do feel drawn to this person, but this was blocking me, right? This image thing, or I always thought I was going to come home with someone like this and he's so not the type I thought. And when you give them permission to feel attracted or drawn to someone who they didn't imagine they would be, it's like lifting that shade for them. And I think a lot of what I do is give them the confidence to listen to their own feelings, their own voice, and what they're feeling is normal and okay. So I think yes, and, you know, like I think because we're so used to abdicating responsibility and we want other people to make our choices for us. But ultimately, that doesn't feel good in the end. And mm -hmm. we want to make our own choices. So an effective coach really is helping draw out the young man or woman's own voice. For sure. Yeah. It's not about someone ever telling you what to do or... No. Yeah. Again, I'll point out patterns. I'll point out trends. Obviously, I have more experience than they do. So I might give them statistics like... 80% of singles, for example, will be a little bit anxious in what I call the world of decision when they're still in that world of decision. When they jump into the world of commitment, 80% of singles will feel so much relief. And 20% of them may still struggle through engagement and then feel 100% committed after marriage and feel really reassured. So when I give that statistic, they feel better just knowing mm. that. So I'm definitely sharing information. I'm sharing knowledge. I will describe to them, you know, a healthy trend versus an unhealthy trend, but they are always making their choices. Yeah. Okay. So thank you. Thank you for helping us identify some of the things that have really changed. I mean, I'm hearing loud and clear that fear has just become huge, huge, that the image issue is really coloring things. Yes. Hearing so much about having access to a world beyond our own immediate world really magnifies what girls have, particularly the girls have to fear about. Any last uh, doorknob messages for, for anyone listening today? Any message you want to give to the parents, to the daters? I do. It's something I feel very passionate about when I first start working with a client. I ask them, before we begin, who makes Shadachim? And she has this tentative voice and she says, Hashem. <laughs> very unsure. And I say, let's do that again. Who makes Shadachim? Hashem. And I ask her one more time, who makes Shadachim? Hashem. And I think it's so important in a world where we're filled with fear and maybe even pressured to 
do things or make choices that don't even fit with our value system because we're scared of the shit crisis or the chatrin maybe won't work with us anymore if I don't give a picture or I don't say this or do that. Or I think it's so important to remember who really runs the world here. Hashem makes shit up in. He could find you someone, whatever you are, whatever you look like, whatever you do, uh, whatever your family is like or what your yichas is or isn't. And I, I so badly would want to infuse that message into every mother listening, every single listening, that Hashem, who made the Rocky Mountains and Niagara Falls, can find you one, just one. All you need is one. One person by the one and only Hashem. And that message can hopefully help us remember that at the end of the day, Hashem is riding the train. We just have to show up and get on and do our part. But Hashem really is riding this whole process. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for wrapping us up. But that way, with that powerful message, no matter what the what the stage. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you for your time and for your expertise. Really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Makeshift. Enjoy this episode. Share it with your friends. Have a comment to share about this episode, a topic you'd like to discuss, or a guest to suggest? We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line at familyfirst.mishpacha.com or at mishpacha.com slash makeshift, where you can also subscribe to receive updates and new episodes. This episode was produced by Jag in Detroit Podcasts. Makeshift, a Mishpacha podcast.